So fear of recording. So welcome to the first episode of Crone's Porch, Magic, Bitchcraft, and a Liminal Approach to Paganism, where we have conversations about magic, witchcraft, paganism, mythology, and our general disdain for the real world. This is your grandmother's podcast. And so just a content warning, we use lots of colorful language, lots of complaining, and just general disdain. These opinions are our own, which we express as individuals following a cronish path. All right. Uh, hi, Colin. Hi, Ian. <laughs> so this is episode well one. Welcome, crone. Yeah, so we're going to talk about what is a crone, why do they matter, and kind of test out our basic premise of this podcast we've been brewing for like a solid four months. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> Something Since like we that. started discussing cr- cr- the crone path as a sort of our pagan way in a solid form, format. Yeah, true. So, uh, But as our tradition? <laughs> I mean, our, our new tradition. Our new tradition. As of now. As of now, we're going to start with a drink for the cold, <laughs> the cold ones, I guess they were. So uh, what are we drinking today? We are drinking apple ale. I won't say the company because I don't want to get sued, and that is way too much pressure for me. Not spot. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we have we have our we have our candle to the crones, our libation to the crones. One for you, one for me, and one for the old hags. So cheers to that. Which is also you and me. <laughs> refreshing. <laughs> Tastes refreshing. like New York. <laughs> Which leads us into our next thing. So a little bit about us, since this is our first intro podcast about this ep- about this series. So we are located currently in the southern tier of New York. We will give no more descriptors than that. But where are you from originally? I grew up in central New York, around the Finger Lakes. It's the wine. It's the uh, wine country. So the France of New York, except without the culture, the history. You know, anything interesting. Yeah, and I'm from Western New York, the Canada of New York, <laughs> um, where uh, Canada was just another state to me, not really a uh, separate country, and so I always get confused when people ask All me. All it took whatever. was a dollar and a passport. Um, more well, like a dollar seventy-five. Okay. And now you need like six forms of documentation to get back into the United States. So uh, be prepared. So, moral of the story is, if you want to go to Canada, pack heavy. Because <laughs> you might not come back. <laughs> Which is not the worst thing. But that's not the point of this podcast. We'll get to that later. <laughs> we'll get to that later. So I guess a little bit about us. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so my name is Ian. I use they, them, their pronouns. And I am a Slavic witch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, my name is Colin. I use he, him, his, and they, them, theirs pronouns. I am a Galo-Brythonic pagan, which... If you need that, you know, if, if you don't understand what that means, that means I honored the paths of Ireland, Scotland, Wales, the Isle of Man in Britain before the, you know, the Romans and especially the Saxons ruined everything for everyone. So the beginning of time. We don't know what that is. <laughs> that's true. Um, so that's a little bit about us. Next, what do we do and why? So this podcast exists i guess as a way for us to talk about our whole shtick about a crone path to paganism since uh most of them are dominated by <laughs> all fathers and uh mm. mostly all fathers 
All fathers and derivatives thereof. You get the occasional mother, but never... The crone never gets her day, even though she's lived most of them. It's true. <laughs> so, uh, what are some things about our Cronish Path that are really important? Well, the first thing is, is we live in liminal space, and we embrace it. So, it's a transformative space. Um, for example, you have, which we'll talk about later, the goddess Caridwin, representing transformation with her cauldron. It's a space in which potential is infinite, and it just sort of exists. It's not anything in particular. Yeah, and so part of that not existing, nothing in particular, is that we also exist with no true binaries. No binaries of gender, no binaries of deity, no binaries of existence. We just kind of exist to exist and see what that brings to us. And, you know, it's 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 kind of the butter uh, buckle. Excuse me. <laughs> I can't speak. I drank too much. Um, the <laughs> buckle up buttercup approach to paganism is just kind of... You don't know what's going to happen, but uh, you know it's going to be a wild ride. And if you get sucked out of your sack of meat and clay, well, it's on to the next thing, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, but that brings true wisdom and, you know, a truer sense of self through anger and a real embracing of emotion. It's true, both positive, negative, and otherwise. Exactly. And then my favorite thing about our past so far is that time is an utter lie. Time is nonlinear. Time is stupid. We don't understand what it is. In the... Gaelic tradition, we have no beginning and no ending stories. There's no Genesis, no Ragnarok. There's just, we've been here, we're here, I guess we'll just be here, and if it ends, well, we'll probably just cycle back around to the same understanding all over again. <laughs> I'll move on to the next thing. Um, and then, the, our, at least for me, the last big thing is this idea that we're entirely communal-based. We have no real major hierarchy. Even a chronic path is more just... Uh, we choose to follow this side, but y'all can follow any side you want. Also, in a chrome space, it's going it's universally accessible. And that doesn't just mean in terms of in terms of belief, but also in terms of who you are, what you want to do, within, of course, pro-social limits, but you know, we want to make this space a growth space for everyone. That's the transformational energy that we're talking about. Yeah, and in my experience both communally, I mean, not so much in my personal community, but uh, communally abroad, crones tend to be the ultimate beacons of community, like leaders of faith practices. Leaders of community tend to be your cronish figures. Grandmas led the family for a reason. It's, yeah, it's very true. Um, and it also comes back to the idea of... Uh, a crone space is a very bash the patriarchy space. <laughs> yeah, bash those all father. <laughs> and um, and uh, it's it's where all energy serves a purpose, which I think is something important to point out. Yeah, every energy has a purpose. Everything has a benefit, has a growth, has a potential, and it's not wrapped up in this performative, accomplishments-driven society we tend to live in. No, you just kind of put on, well, it depends on what kind of crone you are, and there's so many crones to choose from. It's it's, it's anywhere from a, a wandering crone like Ankylok, who just kind of goes around and does her thing in winter and just, you know, ventures out, or the Morrigan, where you just put on a skimpy outfit, grab some <laughs> knives, and run around screeching. That's both very viable crone options. <laughs> it's true. Um, so... I guess we have a very important question to answer, though, for all of our potential listeners out there. And we hope that there are many of you, including our uh, our, our wanderers, 
and our, our younglings. Yes. <laughs> but what what is a crone? So a crone is a lot of things. We can take a couple different perspectives. If you want to take the more archaeological one, which um, transparency, background, I was an anthropology major during my undergrad work, and I did a lot of archaeology and culture. So if you're taking an archaeological approach, it's the theory of the old woman as a spiritual leader in a traditional community. So imagine about 10 to 12,000 years ago when people lived in small, localized, semi-agricultural villages. They hadn't reached full-scale agriculture yet, and we didn't have those same levels of hierarchy that developed during resource surplus. Um, so we have the old woman as the giver of wisdom to the community, as the, as the source of comfort and spiritual knowledge. Um, and this goes for old folks as well, just in general, because in many cases, living to an old age, which back then could mean anywhere from, you know, 30 to 60, if you were lucky. Um, but the idea of age bringing wisdom and bringing spiritual power to a community. And so we could see the hag as an almost representation of this divine energy from wisdom. So did any of those figures serve leadership roles in community? It's unclear because, of course, they didn't write anything down. They couldn't have. They hadn't invented letters yet. Um, but it's it's... It's possible. There are some theories like the um, universal feminist theory that before the advent of surplus agriculture, which led to the creation of, um, of the hierarchies that we see today, that the humanity was a matriarchal species in which women provided leadership and guidance roles to community. Um, that is probably a little bit too far of a swing over um, it's more likely that there was more there was there was a lot more gender parity because everyone served an important role. And also the gender binary seems like it's a product of much more recent times. And so it was probably more focused on age and wisdom and spiritual connection necessarily than than gender or very specific age groups. Um, I think that I think it it really does have to do with the idea of you live long enough, you have enough lived experience, or if you've lived crazy enough, you've had enough lived experience to sort of provide a, a conduit to a spiritual realm that perhaps other people who haven't had those experiences have. So I suppose it's kind of a magic. Likes produce like. If you're really good at war, then you might have some spiritual connection to those things connected to war. If you're if you've been a mother, you know, you've had lots of children. Unfortunately, at that time, not many of whom survived, you would have some connection to some sort of divine motherhood energy. Mm -hmm. So do you think we see any of that pop up today? I know. I, I think that there is there is an understanding, especially within Western culture, of that push of white feminism towards the idea of the, the divine feminine in that the, the feminine, the woman, is going to save mankind. Of course, this will always be a white woman. So <laughs> your, your Athena will yes. save humanity. Very um, so. But I think that there is an understanding in many cultures that the elderly are worth respect. Of course, there's the cliche. You always get the East Asian examples. Um, Japan, for example, very much about honoring the elderly. Mm -hmm. um, how that plays out in reality is variable. Um, of course, there's always so many stereotypes about Japan and America. But a lot of cultures, I think, revered their elders, um, and there is some level of respect. There's also some level of fear 
I mean, even you see it a lot in Western cultures, the fear of the hag, the fear of the old man, or even within queer culture, we see the fear of a, the fear of the elderly. In the general, fear of dying. The, fe- the fear of anyone over the age of 30, to be perfectly frank. <laughs> Ooh, hot take. Um, I have a lot of opinions about That's that. That's not this podcast. <laughs> no, it's not this podcast. Um, <laughs> Maybe later. But uh, so I, th- I think it still exists. I think it's still there. And I think part of tapping into the chronic path is not necessarily about being old or focusing on age as much as it is about the understanding of wisdom being wisdom from the very benevolent fairy godmother or athena style wisdom that is you know understanding of the world or the stereotypes you get of native or indigenous peoples where they know everything about the environment to you know the idea of wisdom as lived experience like yeah i've gone through shit and i came out stronger hell yes so, what types of other approaches do you think we can take a look at Crohn's? Well, throat? I wanted to ask you about taking a witchcraft approach. What sort of what sort of ways would you see the Crone playing out in a sort of witchcraft perspective? So, a lot of this comes from my mentor, who very much lives in a Crohn space. Love you, Mary. <laughs> I um, wish I knew you, Mary. <laughs> um, but so, from a witchcraft perspective, and from even kind of a pagan perspective. Um, not so much about mythology, but more about just the practice of paganism. We see crones live in a space of lesson, more so than other um, entities usually live in. Crones usually serve to teach us something. And usually the lessons that we don't want to learn. <laughs> so I think one of the examples I always go to think about is Baba Yaga. Mm-hmm. You know, the quintessential witch in the woods trying to trick you into coming into her house and probably wants to eat your kids. Right. The, the typical evil hat. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Continue. Uh, but through the stories of Abiyaga and through the stories of a lot of those evil hags, we end up learning a lot of the lessons that positivity and joy don't necessarily teach us. So like even Marzana, another hag from Eastern Europe, Polish, you might know Marana. Marzana, all the different names. She's the goddess of nightmares, the goddess of blizzards, of storm. So she teaches us kind of through hardship about the necessary importance of community, about having a family to have a fire around to be able to survive with through the winter. So even though she herself is kind of kind of dark, kind of aggressive, kind of pressured, we end up being better for it. So from a more witchcraft perspective, it's lessons of a less savory approach, but definitely with style. So it's it's that it's that sort of tough to learn, but good to know. Yes, because not all lessons, and I think one of the beautiful things about this cronish path that we're working on is not all lessons can be learned in positive, supportive spaces. You have to be able to take lessons from both the good things that you've done in life, the friendships that you've made, the fun relationships, the positivity that you can reap out of life, but there's also something to always be gained from every experience, the negative, every hardship, every struggle, they all also teach us lessons, and which is where the wisdom comes in. If you've lived a life, yes, it wasn't always fun, but you've always learned something out of it, and that can be applicable and reapplied and built into it. So that's the, re- the reason you become the matriarch of the community is because you lived the longest, and therefore that st- serves for something. In sort of practice of witchcraft, the practical application, what would you say that that would have 
not necessarily from a deific perspective, <laughs> but from a from a practical application perspective. So I would say that Crohn's elders, you know, our, our older witches in the community, that tends to be where a lot of our practice comes from anyway. So your fables, your um, incantations that are passed down, your practices of planting your seeds in a certain way every winter, that comes from age and experience. That doesn't come from divine intervention. <laughs> so Crohn's also teach us the necessary mechanics of life. So your ancient, this is the reason why usually the TV trope of the ancient witch in the woods that teaches the hero about growth or the hero about hardship and lessons. The reason that they've been, that they're there is because they live the longest and understand how life just works in general and what incantations work the best and how you ensure yourself long crops, how you ensure all of that, how you bind people in a <laughs> proper manner, because, you know, those tend to backfire when you're a younger, newer, starting on the path. And so the ones that we have that work, like our freezing water, your freezing names into water to ice people out, that probably comes from an aged practice that is just refined and eventually passed down from people who've been able to test out and find the, you know, kinks in this problem. Those don't come from the person who got it right the first time because nothing happens right the first time. As it's true. We <laughs> Every, ever, everything that could go wrong might go wrong. Yeah. So what do our, there's so many crones and we always talk about that. Even we have such a limited viewpoint of the crones in the world because we're both two uh, white people. Western pagans. Western American pagans who maybe have a wide view of Europe because you, you're more on the Western Isles side and I'm more on the Eastern we're both also side. We're both also explorers. We do a lot of reading, but that ne true. never makes up for lived experience of another culture. Exactly. So this is going to be a very limited view of what crones are out there and what they might individually represent, but what are some crones? What are some of your favorite crones? Some of my favorite crones. Well, first I would like to put out to any listeners that may be interested, if you have crones from your cultures, especially if they're not from a Western standpoint, we'd love to hear about them. We'll figure out how that works because we're new to this. <laughs> we are new to this, but if you could send us some information, we'd love to read it on subsequent podcasts or have a voice clip played if that's what you would like. Um, but getting back to the question, my favorite crowns. Well, my experience personally, mm -hmm. I have a strong connection. She just sort of shows up sometimes and I love her, <laughs> is Ankailach, which is a Gaelic phrase. It means the hag. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. Uh, sometimes she's called Kailak Vera. Um, she has a couple other names, depending on where you are in Ireland or Scotland. She's very important to Scottish mythology, especially. It's very likely she was a Pictish, Pictish mother goddess who, when they inter when the Picts were conquered and intermarried with the Gaels, became Ankailak. And then was sort of demonized through the process of Christianization when the Celtic Christianity came to the Isles. Um, she is the queen of winter. <laughs> she carries a big old hammer that'll be a running theme probably yes she's a crone of winter she carries the big old hammer that uh freezes the ground as it touches it she that hammer also has been known to create valleys so scotland is of course a country of valleys hills and lakes so on kylock's hammer can be seen everywhere um she also carries a, a creel which is a kind of wicker basket where she has rocks, but she's a giantess, a big blue giantess. So these rocks are mountains. So when she drops them out of her creel, um, you have mountains. She's not, 
she's not one of those goddesses you hear about necessarily as being invoked very often. As a, as a queen of winter, she's representational of the season and not necessarily seen as someone you go to intercession in anything particular. I personally find her very helpful in self-care because she's a grandmother. So sometimes <laughs> she'll, she may give me lessons I don't like, but they're necessary. Or Which, she'll be just very much like, I'll go outside during a cold day and she'll just hug me and say, I'm keeping you warm for a little while because, I don't know, you, you pay attention to me. <laughs> and then sometimes, like recently, we had a nice warm spot down here in the southern tier. And um, then she came back and she said, you're no longer exempt because you all, all you sissies need a reminder. <laughs> um, so... So she's a very interesting, Some in some legends, she's the ex-wife of Mananan McClear, god of the sea. In some legends, she's just a, oh, she's just a, she's just a witch. And in many legends, the ones I ascribe to very particularly, she is the crone form of the goddess Breed. However, in my experience working with her, she prefers to present herself as Ankailach and not Breed, very specifically. <laughs> yeah. So how about you? Who's your witch, <laughs> witch roster? Your your oh. roster. So, depending on the type of the year or the time of year, my hag roster usually switches. Right now, being in winter, being I mean, we're towards the end of it, but being it, right in winter here in the southern tier of New York, um, I you know Marzana is my my love. Um, so again, as we talked to, as I referenced before, she is the goddess of nightmares, the goddess of winter. Um, the goddess of blizzard, you know, real deep, like stormy winter, not just, you know, fluffy snow, fun time winter. Um, and her story is one of tragedy. We will, maybe we'll talk about that one more towards Ostara because that's her big time, her big day. Uh, we celebrate Marzana Day as a very big Polish holiday. Um, but for me, she's always been special. And I think it's a little bit comes from my mentor because she always taught us to look towards the quote unquote crooked ones because they often have just as much wisdom, mentorship, uh, and lessons to teach. They're not, you know, the dark, twisted things that the story likes stories like to make mm -hmm. them out to be. And so I always felt drawn to her, especially since her story is one of tragedy and a little bit of betrayal. Um, and also, Marzana Day is just one of the coolest holidays because I love a good effigy burning. <laughs> and, Same. <laughs> and... That is her death day, and so we are celebrating her, sending her off in a blaze of glory and cleansing her for the coming year. A little ritual murder never hurt anyone. <laughs> and that's also part of the Kronish Bad, because we live in the liminal space of where sometimes ritual burnings are important. Generally, though, not of living beings. They tend to be effigies. Yes, we don't condone any sort of no. uh, ritual violence in this community. I'm going to put that out there. No. But depending on the year, so other times in the year, usually not winter because that's her height. That's when she's most present for me. Um, I do love a good Baba Yaga story. I love a trickster. I Throughout this podcast, I will probably talk about my love of tricksters. <laughs> I mean, Baba Yaga is such a lovable character. It's true. And she, I love depictions of her that actually paint her as the neither good nor evil entity that she is because she always gives a deal. And she's very clear- at least in my experience, in what she's get, what she's offering in her deal, she just tends to hide it in wordplay. And that's part of the lesson that she's trying to teach is that it's really important to be 
one, perfectly clear in the terms of your agreement that you're trying to strike. She is a, loves a good deal. Um, two, that you need to also double check in the other person's terms because people like to hide subtle clauses that twist your side of the deal into something that's beneficial and not exactly what you want. So she teaches a lot of lessons and she also does good. She's not all about tricking people into giving up their children or giving up their souls or giving up loved ones. She does do good. In fact, there's a movie, isn't there, where she's depicted as actually oh, helping the hero? Yeah, there is. Um, So uh, a friend of ours, a co-worker, shared with me uh, a couple of Maltiki, which are Russian Russian um, cartoons. These ones are from the Soviet era. Um, they're retellings of story tale, story tale, uh, excuse me, Russian fairy tales. Um, in some stories, Baba Yaga is very helpful. She sometimes kind of a, almost acts as a deus ex machina to get the hero where they need to go. Mm -hmm. My favorite one is where she helps the prince get to the castle where his love is being held by an evil warlord. And she he comes into her door and says, grandmother, grandmother, I need your help. I don't know where to find my love. And she's sitting by the fire and says, oh, no one calls me grandmother. They just call me Baba the Crooked-Legged. Of course I'll help you. Get in the bucket. <laughs> <laughs> and that's part of the uh, with style part of the fun lesson. But also correct me if I'm wrong about the talking about the good. It's Baba Yaga. When she does good, it's not always good in the super um, happy, joy, joy way. It's sometimes it's the it's the evil stepmother way. Or not she's not the evil stepmother, but like the story where the, the girl goes and has an evil stepmother and sisters and everything and is being horribly oppressed and then goes and does all these tasks for Baba Yaga, impossible tasks for Baba Yaga. And then Baba Yaga says, I'm going to help you out. And then goes and murders the people oppressing her. And she has a wonderful life from therein. <laughs> it's true. Again, this is part of the unsavory lessons with pizzazz <laughs> part of Crohn's that they teach us. You know, sometimes the lesson won't go across if it's in fun time magic land and sometimes it needs to come across a little bit harsher it's about putting you through the trials so that at the end while you're very mad that Baba Yaga put you through a trial and uh, made you have to do all this stuff and spend this money and jump through these hoops you end up coming out stronger at the end of it and that was the point none of this uh, positive this buckle up buttercup approach that you talked about before so that also brings me to another crone on my roster. Although she's more of a crone by fiat from my from my perspective, she's never really depicted as a crone. She's she's just in a triplicate with, where she takes the crone place in mm -hmm. the maiden mother crone, which we should discuss after we're done with this part for people who don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, you can take the moment now. Yeah, actually, I'll take a moment now if it's just a maiden mother crone. So, in many pagan traditions, um, there is the understanding of the triplicate of the maiden mother crone. Maiden being the young version in some traditions it's the virgin version but i believe virginity is a social contract that's bullshit but whatever <laughs> um there's the mother who is you know the nurturer that from which life springs not necessarily ba just babies but also inspiration and mm -hmm. all these other things then there's the crone who is wisdom age experience sometimes like as you said those nasty lessons that need some learning but aren't always fun mm -hmm. um so she takes the crone um i think partly because part of her story she has a similar so who are you talking about oh of course Caridwen. Caridwen, <laughs> the welsh goddess of magic and transformation also inspiration her cauldron holds what's called the uh, um the anu which is i'm sorry that is the wrong word <laughs> awen awen is the word okay 
Um, she, her cauldron is the Awen inspiration in itself. Mm-hmm. So from her comes poetry, which is very important to Welsh, traditional Welsh culture. She has only one real story, and it involves her trying to create a potion of knowledge and wisdom for her son. She has two children, Morph, um, um, Morphon, and I forget her daughter's name. Her daughter is beautiful, radiant, um, very attractive. Um, Afogdu, as he's called, or Morphon, very ugly. He got hit with the ugly stick like a train. <laughs> but we love him anyway. He's the god of darkness, Aww. but not necessarily malevolent. He's just in in the same way that in the Norse tradition, Hother is the god of winter and darkness, but he's not a bad guy. Just turn the lights off and you're in darkness. Exactly. Um, so she tries to brew a potion um, that gives her son this knowledge so that he'll have something more than just being ugly and despised. He'll, he'll, he'll be perceived as valuable by the other gods or people. It, Welsh kind of crosses their lines in that terms. They're more heroes than gods, mm-hmm. at least in the way that the stories depict them. And so she has to do a very specific ritual over the course of a year where she puts different herbs, all the herbs of the earth, into this cauldron. And it has to constantly be stirred and overseen by a blind old man and a young boy. This young boy's name is Guion. So Guion does all this, and then it's finally ready. It's been a year. They've been doing this for so long. And it boils, and three drops come out of the cauldron and burn Guion's finger. And of course, natural reaction, he puts it in his mouth. And all the wisdom and knowledge that was in that potion were in those three drops. The rest is poison. So he absorbs this knowledge, and of course, he thinks, well, she's going to kill me if she finds out. Everything went to waste. So... He, he starts to run, but Caridwin finds out and goes after him, and they go on this series of chases where they turn into different animals. Finally, Guion decides to hide in a milling shed where he turns into a grain, a piece of grain, and Caridwin turns into a black hen and eats him. Of course, she tried to kill him, but he takes seed in her belly, and she becomes pregnant. And she gives birth, and she thinks, well, I have to get my revenge. I have to kill a child. But she looks at him, and she can't do it. So she's t- she sews him into a leather bag, puts him in a river, and he's adopted by a Welsh prince, and he becomes the legendary bard Taliesin. Um, and ever since, Caridwin has been associated with poets in Wales. So this sort of lesson about transformation and compassion, but also anger and violence, and how life kind of ties all these things together. And so... It in itself is a very compelling story, and of course, poetry is storytelling, so it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it's true. And so, you know, it makes sense. It's a compelling story. Therefore, it's uh, it's associated with poetry, which is compelling storytelling. Um, but of course, as you, uh, as you know, we said we there's lots of crones, so. Yeah, so we don't have enough time to get through all of them, and we'll probably have some episodes here and there dedicated to specific ones because each of them have their lessons and their stories to tell. But we encourage you to research your local crone, sometimes local to your culture, sometimes local to actually the area you live in. I mean, we have Grandma Spider here in Appalachia in the United States, which is a very interesting mix of land-derived religion, but also culturally specific to the people of Appalachia, settlers of Appalachia, the colonial Appalachia, but it probably has its connections with indigenous peoples in that area as well. But we also need to mention that crones are not always frail and, uh, you know, tiny old women full of wisdom, but no might. We also have our Frau Precta in Germany, 
demon hunter extraordinaire fighting Krumpus throughout the months of winter. Also just an all around badass. Then a cultural take on um, more aggressive feminine sexuality in terms of cultural practices of, of the Germanic countries and some, yeah. in some cultures, the young men will dress up as Krampus during Krampusnacht and go around frightening young children and getting beer from everyone else is a whole big joke. But at the end of the ritual, sometimes the young ladies of the village will dress up as Frau Perkta with their wooden spears and their big old cloaks and chase the Krampuses out of the village. Yeah, and it really does do serve to challenge this, you know, frail old woman trope, but also give grant this power and leadership might to crones that is sometimes missing from the historical approach that they not only fulfilled leadership roles culturally, but also fulfilled leadership roles kind of aggressively and powerfully. Absolutely. You see that in the in some in to some degree with the Morrigan in the Gaelic tradition, she's a great queen. I mean, her name literally means great queen. Um, she also is the one who's, for example, when Lou took the kingship of the Tuatadanann, which I'm sure we'll talk about some other time. <laughs> um, she she's the one who kind of I hate to use the word christen because it's not uh, terribly appropriate, but um, but <laughs> she 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 tells him of his destiny and she says, "Go forth and do battle, O child of promise." And that's kind of what sets him towards his destiny. Yeah. So now we come to, uh, I think we're going to have this as a continual thing. No, no, we don't always have things to talk about. But, you know, as crones do, we, uh, crones be bitching in some ways. So uh, what are you uh, bitching about today on uh, this uh, section of uh, bitchcraft? So the thing I bring to bitchcraft is um, patriarchy. <laughs> Ooh, patriarchy. So what is patriarchy's connection to our crone path and uh, how does it affect us? Well, for one thing, it's bullshit. Um, yeah, but how? Oh, tell uh, the readers uh, how. Uh, Listeners and our readers. True. Um, uh, so patriarchy, and this is going to be a very blunt explanation, is male domination of culture and how it plays out and what is valued and who gets roles of power. And this doesn't just mean men and women. This also means the variety of genders. Generally, in the United States, that means rich, white, straight, cis men. Mm -hmm. And that is not how our spirituality works. No, I mean, in both of our practices, we tend to align ourselves with um, more feminine presenting. And we try not to use feminine and masculine energies in our practice because we think that is utterly undescriptive of the energies that they serve. Generally, I think what people are talking about when they do this is nurturing energy for the mm -hmm. feminine and aggressive energy for the masculine. Yeah, but in our experience, we always talk about crones that are aggressive, aggressive. crones that are battle-driven, even not necessarily crones, but matronly women who and are... And our masculine presenting gods tend to be the nurturing ones. It's For true. your case, Velas, he's dad extraordinaire and the dogda same <laughs> not the greatest father no but, but very uh, nurturing and nice one uncle maybe he cares too much to be an uncle as you said before that's true he does too care too much he's your fun stepdad yeah <laughs> the dogda is 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 every is every awesome dude at a pride festival with a free dad hugs t-shirt on yeah i mean so so patriarchy often like warps our experience especially in yeah. our religious practice. I don't know how many times I am asked uh, what I think, well, not, I kind of insulate myself sometimes from these people, but outside, the conversation always ends up coming back to our 
fun wild male deities. So for me, it always comes back to conversations of Thor, conversations of Odin, and I'm not even a heathen, which is the, another conversation for another time, but they always come back to Thor and Odin, sometimes Balder, and sometimes Perun. If they're feeling frisky. If they're feeling frisky, and then sometimes Perun, if they actually know he exists. But it always comes back to these all-fathers, these heroic men deities. Don't you love Thor? Isn't Freya a witch of a woman? Which, yes, but no. Bullshit. <laughs> it's bullshit. It is. It is it's utter fucking bullshit. It is. I, unfortunately, um, or fortunately, as depending on how you look at it, <laughs> it doesn't really happen as much in my experience of tradition because mm. the men aren't the ones that are known by the general public. Everybody knows the Morrigan. Everybody knows Breed. Everybody knows Breed. What saint is she in Christian? Bridget. Saint Bridget. Saint Bridget, which is a saint where um, it kind of happened where they were like, well, we don't want to give up our Breed or Bridget worship. Um, so they're like, oh, but we have a saint. Funny enough, her name is Bridget. Uh, would you, you know what? She was an Irish woman who was the who was the 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 milk nurse of Christ. How convenient is that? <laughs> Just I mean, turn the statues around, really. I love that. <laughs> Y'all are smart. We carve things in stone. We carve things in trees do, and they burn. We do like our big rocks. We do like your big rocks. Um, so Which rocks off. We as just moving forward in the podcast, of course, just uh, so you know, we believe in self-identification as being really important. Yeah. The one thing I love about following this chronic path is that every worship has its place. So right now, we tend to complain that our protégés that we are mentoring in a way, if you're listening, yes, we do mentor you and you <laughs> deal with it. Uh, but... Right now, they're in that time of space where you know sexuality is a big thing, and living like, in your sexuality is even bigger. And living in your body is a big yes. thing. So fertility deities, sex deities, sensuality deities <coughs> are, big <coughs> are big for them. And that's and so any other path, an all father path, if you will, might take uh, issue with that because. You know, giving thanks isn't always for the all-father. But our chronic path is like, no, that's where they're at in life. That's where they're at in this time. And time moves and they won't be there. And they might move to all-fathers. They might move to what's a very obscure, just random deity that nobody would ever think about. Using the brain. Uh, let's see. Ooh, ooh, ooh. How about, um, how about uh, Svarog? <laughs> yes, <laughs> Svarog. That might be the path they go on, and the chronic path isn't, you know, threatened by that. Every path serves a purpose, and collectively we create the benefit, you know, the growth of humanity. It's not following an all-father's path that is the gateway to all knowledge, looking at you, Odin, stabbing your eye out for fun. <laughs> or as a joke from Mimir. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but um, we also, just so you know, we believe in liberation politics. Which Again, a thing of the crone. Bash the system. Bash the system. Because the system doesn't work for everybody. And the crone looks at it and says, I've lived too long to be oppressed by this damn system. So I'm going to go off and live in the woods and make my own damn system. It's true. And that's what we are aiming the to crone. do. The crones are kind of the originators of separatist politics, but with a community twist. With a communal twist. So, final question of our, at least this version of the podcast format, format because, you know, we change quicker than the uh, the tides. It's true. And the tides don't change that fast, but 
We still change faster than that. So, Colin, what's our Corona of the Week? Well, considering we are in the depths of winter, at least in this part of New York, we're going to talk about winter crones. <laughs> Some of our favorites of which we've already brought up. Yeah. Um, but the idea, I think that we should discuss the grander idea of the winter crone. Of course, there are many names for winter crones. There are many faces. Sometimes it's just crones. winter itself. Sometimes it is just winter itself. But, like, what is the meaning and lesson to a winter crone? Ooh, my favorite lesson from winter crones is this idea of fam familial or at least communal survival. That winter really forces communities to take stock, literally. That's, you know, what we come down to at the end of fall. We're taking stock of the things that we need to survive winter. But winter itself causes an intense fam familial reliance. So people gathering around the largest fireplace in the village or just the fireplace of your individual home and really relying on each other for warmth, eating, you know, you don't have as much firewood, so you're trying to, you know, bring all the warmth into one space. So it's really about surviving together that this incredibly oppressive force on the outside is only survivable through community. So it's kind of, you know, nothing unites like a common enemy. Yeah, that's true. Nothing <laughs> unites like a buffalo blizzard. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, I'm pretty sure the only reason why Buffalo is called the city of neighbors is because of winter. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, actually. You don't hear L.A. being called the city of neighbors because it's always sunny and people can uh, freely hate each other because there's no weather to oppress them <laughs> besides the occasional drought. <laughs> of course. So the lesson I like to take away from Winter Crones is the idea of accepting your own existence as it is. Winter is one of those things that is unstoppable. You can't fight winter. <laughs> Side story to that. Uh, recently, as Colin had said before, we got a lovely warm up here in the Southern tier, got to about 50, 52 yeah. on one certain day. And some of our friends, <laughs> my friends in Syracuse, Central New York, looking at being like, hey, look, spring's coming. And both of us being like, oh no. She's only taking a nap, lads. She's about to smack you in the face with some fresh powdered snow. <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, late that weekend into now, um, northern New York got slammed with snow. And lo and behold, the people who were like, no, the crone lives and were wonderful about her presence just got a nice dusting and some chill. Yeah. So pays to be in with the crown. That, that sort of existence that I was talking about is the idea that winter is unbeatable. It's something that is. And she's happy to be as she is. And she teaches us to understand that sometimes life throws crap at us. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. even more, well, yeah. <laughs> more importantly, sometimes we just kind of feel crappy ourselves for whatever reason. But that there's value in just existing because just existing is indefatigable. What does that mean for our friends? <laughs> <laughs> it means it's 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 unbreakable, unbendable. It's just what it is, and there's yes. value in just existing. Even if that means you're having the worst day imaginable and you just need to go home and lay in bed and just cry, there's value in that as much as they're in and being the most productive person on the planet. Amen. A woman. A crone to that. There we go. <laughs> Got there eventually to the joke. But yay for that one. <laughs> no, I'm just clapping the joke. Clapping for the joke. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Okay. <laughs> so our major takeaway from 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 all this is uh, all fathers ruin everything. <laughs> I mean, if you are an all father worshiper, more power to you because you put up with all that.
Yeah. We exited that hardcore. Yeah. So, so we're not going to have any today because, of course, this is our first episode. But to just let you know about the regular format, we like to use this part for our listener feedback, future plans, and our pagan news. Of course, we don't have any news or listener feedback this time, but would let's discuss our future plans for our future listeners. <laughs> So we have some wonderful things uh, in the works about podcast episodes. I think uh, some unique crones would be interested. Some crone highlights where we do our crone of the week, but um, episodes taking a deeper look at some of the legends behind some of our crones, as well as how crones impact our daily life. I don't think this needs to be an entirely magic forward podcast. This can be a... We'll, of course, explore other issues other than crones. I mean, the crones permeate everything. <laughs> so we Our can, students we think can, we are well, yeah, basically crones ourselves. Yeah. So we, we, we can talk about other, other pieces of mythology. I'd love for you to do an episode on just the story of Yarilo and Marzana. Yes. And I would really like to do an episode on the many escapades of the Morrigan. Oh, yeah. So that's the crone origins big. Big thing. We gotta know how crones get there because they don't just uh, appear; they live to it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but I think this will be our common format: some introduction, a little bit about the episode. Always coming down to our uh, bitchcraft section because we, uh, you know, as crones, we always have things to complain about. And of course, if you have anything to bitch about, either in writing or an audio clip, we'd love to involve everyone in our bitchcraft <laughs> because there's nothing better than bitching together. It's true. So uh, right now, because this is brand new uh, and we did this before uh, we've recorded this before thinking about this part, but uh, check us out on social media when we have it. We'll probably say it'll that. be up soon. It'll be up soon. Probably Crone Corner or the or Crone Porch or the Crone Porch on Facebook. Probably not Instagram. Neither of us are very photo forward people. Maybe a Twitter. I will give it a try. I have newfound canvas skills. Oh, a newfound Canva skill. Canva is a lovely resource, non-spawn, but, you know, if you need free poster creation services, canva.com. A plus. A plus. That was our commercial break, but we did it for free. I know, Canva, if you want to send a little bit of that money away, we wouldn't say no. We're kind of poor grad students, but okay. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) But this has been a lovely time. So Uh, thank you for coming to visit the Crone Porch. (laughs) <laughs> we would love for you to take a, pull up a chair in a, a rocking chair with a little lap blanket. But uh, for this week, we're going to be done. So um, goodbye. You you uh, don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. And uh, what do we always say at the end of ritual? Hail and farewell. Hello, we're back. Um, Because we're new to this, we wanted to include our contact information. We can be found on Facebook at the at Crone Porch or the Crones or just Crones Porch. And then we can also be found on Instagram at Crones Porch. This is spelled C-R-O-N-E-S-P-O-R-C-H. Indeed. So we will be having our episode up on March 1st. (laughs) <laughs> Hopefully on Spotify or other places where podcasts can be streamed, maybe iTunes, uh, if they let us do that, if that doesn't have a cost to it because we are poor college students. We will also put a link to wherever we put it on our Facebook page and on our Instagram. So thank you again if you are listening to this podcast. We really appreciate it. This has been a brainchild we've been having for 
the time. Yes, indeed. You can also email us any of your feedback at, to the Crohn's Porch, all one word, all lowercase, at gmail.com. And any voice feedback you have for us, try to upload that through the email. If it's less than two minutes, it should be fine. Yeah, we're really going to work on some accessibility things in the future. Again, we're starting this for the first time, so please be kind to us. But we'll work some, on some dictation, maybe provide some PDFs of transcriptions. I don't know if Spotify will let us do that, but we will try to make this as accessible as possible as Absol we can. Absolutely. And if you have any feedback for our first episode, or if you have any you know, feelings about the podcast, let us know. And also if you feel like it and it, it feels honest, give us good reviews and share us with all of your friends. All, all of friends. them, especially the ones who don't like what we have to say. And we have no advocates currently. So uh, it's a free podcast. Woo-hoo! <laughs> Woo-hoo!